Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Soledago Herb School, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about mullen, one of my all-time favorite wild medicinal herbs. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. Well, here we are. The wheel of the year keeps turning. It's the beginning of August, and there's a definite shift in the light. The crickets are chirping, the nights are cooler, the evenings are coming earlier every day. There's a crispness to the air and a crispness to the light that wasn't there last month. The beginning of August is celebrated as Lamas or Lunasa, and it's a harvest time. It's really in the wheel of the solar calendar. It's the beginning of fall. It is a cross-quarter holiday, so it's the time that marks the halfway point between summer solstice and fall equinox. It's really a time that if you're really in tune with the wild and with nature and with the plants, we're beginning to prepare for winter. And it's the first of the harvests, maybe the first of three harvests, maybe one that happens traditionally now, um, one that happens closer to the fall equinox, which is kind of the height of the fall and one that happens right at the end of fall and the beginning of winter around Halloween. Mullen stalks were traditionally burned, were turned into torches and were burned during harvest ceremonies. And right now the mullen is just, you know, almost done blooming. If you haven't harvested mullen, but you want to work with this plant, now is the time. So I thought it would be a good time to talk about mullen. Mullen, my first impression of mullen is such a large, stately, beautiful plant that really shows up in a lot of places where the soil's been disturbed or is really rocky and maybe there's not necessarily a lot of other plants that are willing to grow there right now. It really catches the eye because it can be so tall and so strong looking. It has these really beautiful fuzzy leaves, very soft kind of velvety silvery green leaves. In the first year it's just a basil rosette of leaves which basically means at the base of the plant right on the ground is a circle or a rosette of leaves. And then in the second year, it begins to grow its really thick, round, 
trunk-like stalk that turns to, it can either kind of branch and become multiple flower heads, or it could just be one single flower head. And depending on the species, um, they can look slightly different. And then they have beautiful yellow flowers that open up at different times, sometimes in a spiral, up around the flower stalk, which is um, kind of like a rod. So the botanical name of mullen is verbascum, and it's in the family Scrofularaceae, Scrofularaceae, which also includes plants like foxglove and penstemon. There's actually over 200 genre in this family. And there are about 300 different species of verbascums. They are native to Europe, North Africa, Western and Central Asia, temperate regions of these places. But today, mullen is widely and abundantly distributed around the world. It was likely brought to North America by colonizers as herbal medicine and was planted in the gardens and then naturalized from there. I would say that the most interesting place that I have seen mullen growing is in Hawaii in lava fields on Mauna Kea on the big island. And just like there are no other plants growing. And then as we were driving up the mountain through these just black lava fields, there were these beautiful mullen plants growing right out of the lava. Very striking. So as you can see, and again, heading up the mountain, the temp it's more of a temperate, cooler climate than in most places in Hawaii. There's actually often snow or maybe always snow on the top of that mountain. It the mullen likes compacted rocky soil or soil that was recently disturbed places where humans have been or are. Old farm fields that have been compacted over time, roadsides, uh, railroad areas, um, open rocky fields, mountainsides, hillsides. I tend to think of it as almost like a first succession plant where you know it has these really nice roots that can dig deep and mine minerals from compacted rocky soil and bring them up to the surface in the large leaves and then slowly let those leaves decompose to create soil on the top of the rock. And then after the mullen has done its thing, then other plants can move in. I would say that there might be a poisonous lookalike to mullen if you're really not paying attention. Could be foxglove. Or if it's a mullen that grows near you that doesn't have the super fuzzy leaves, because foxglove, it can be like a silvery green color, but the leaves aren't necessarily super fuzzy. A key to identifying foxglove are the leaves have um, little kind of scalloped edges, like little bumps around the edges of the leaves, and are almost like really veiny. You can kind of see the bumps and the specific veins on the top of the leaf. And mullen is more smooth edges and very often fuzzy or hairy leaves. The foxglove also has a similar growth habit where the first year it can be a relatively large basil rosette and the second year can grow a stalk and the flower. Once it flowers, they don't look anything alike, but potentially in their basil rosette phase, if you are not paying close attention, then maybe they look alike and foxglove is poisonous and could kill you. So make sure that you are properly identifying your plant. The hairs on the mullen leaves um, allow it to be safe from grazing animals. And so it's almost like a self-protection strategy for the plant, which is a nutritious plant 
and a medicinal plant, but is one that is not going to be eaten by deer or pasture animals necessarily. And I find that the mullein, you know, once it grows and sets its seed, it might not necessarily grow in that place again for quite a while. It will produce thousands and thousands of seeds each plant. The seeds are so tiny, little tiny black specks of seeds. And they can fall to the ground once the seed head is dried and or if they fall over, you know, after snow over the winter. And the seeds need sunlight to germinate. So if the seeds are covered with soil or other leaf material and debris, they might not necessarily germinate. But once that soil is disturbed and the seeds are brought to the surface, then they're going to be more likely to germinate. And that's why you'll see them a lot in disturbed soils. The seeds can last a really long time in the soil. I had, when I first moved into my house, the first summer I had um, someone, um, a neighbor that had a tractor come and till up an area that was to be our vegetable garden and a perennial garden kind of coming up a sloping southern facing hill. And I didn't get to planting it immediately. And so that first year after the tractor had come through, it just started being covered with mullein plants. And you could almost see the plants. It was almost like the tractor tires were covered in the mullein seeds. Or maybe that was just there had been a lot of mullein here before. And so the tractor just turned up a bunch of mullein seeds. But the whole area just became this huge, beautiful mullein patch. And I just let it be because I just knew it was going to be so beautiful the next year when it bloomed. And I really didn't have as much time as I thought I was going to, so I didn't really have the time to plant a veggie garden at that time anyway. And it was true. The next summer, we had a beautiful stand of mullein plants. But since then, there have been lots of other plants that have taken hold Uh, both that I've planted and that I haven't planted, but not many mullins at all. In other parts of the land, there are mullin plants, but only a few here or there. That was the only time I've had a huge patch of mullin. The botanical name for mullin is, the genus is verbascum, which is from the Latin word barbascum, meaning a bearded plant. And there are three species of mullein that I have seen growing in my area. Uh, A wild one is Verbascum thapsis, which is the great mullein, which is probably the most common wild mullein, definitely, that I've seen. Thapsis is a place in Sicily, so it was named after that region, I guess because it probably grew a lot there. Um, Then there is Verbascum olympicum, which is a Greek mullein, and that's commonly grown and cultivated. I don't see it wild, but it produces a lot of flowers, beautiful, large flowers on like multiple flower stalks on the top of a really large mullein plant. So it makes sense, especially if you're planning to harvest a lot of flowers, that that's the plant that people cultivate. And then there is Verbascum phlomoides, phlomoides, which begins with P-H-L-O-M-O-I-D-E-S. And that basically means like Phlomis, which is a plant genus in the mint family, Lamiaceae family. It's a plant that, that 
this mullein looks similar to this genus, or at least plants in this genus. The phlomis is Greek for flame. So plants in this genus, the phlomis genus that the phlomoides verbascum is named after, are, were used as lamp wicks. The leaves were. And they have yellow flowers, which maybe is also why they have that name. So that's interesting because the mullein leaves historically were also used as uh, lamp wicks. So maybe that's a commonality as well, other than that they just look like each other. And I want to take a moment to point out here that a lot of botanical names of plants actually stem from Greek language and not only Latin. A lot of people will say, oh, what's the Latin name of that plant? And it's true, a lot of plants um, are derived, names are kind of convoluted names that come from Latin words. They're not actually Latin words. They're usually altered in some way to describe the plant. But there's also a lot of Greek words. So if we are always saying, oh, the Latin name of the plant, yes, that's common nomenclature, but it's not really true because the plant names aren't necessarily Latin words. And there's a lot of Greek in it as well. Then the word mullen is Latin for mollus, meaning soft. And another common name of the mullen plant is velvet dock. And in our last week's episode where we talked about Ella Campaign, often being called elf dock, we talked about these plants that are named, have dock in their name, like burdock, yellow dock, velvet dock are plants that have large leaves is basically what dock means. They're not necessarily related to each other other than that they all have large leaves. Historically, mullein was a very useful medicinal herb and still is today. Another common use for the plant was as a light source in special times. So Greeks made lamp wicks with the dried leaves Romans dipped the dried stock in tallow for funeral torches. And you hear a lot of actually these dried stocks with the, the seed head being cut, having the, you know, because it's a nice strong stock. Even when it dries, it's even stronger than when it's fresh. And the stock that has this like perfect kind of, the seed head makes a perfect torch head, basically, when you wrap it with a burnable oil, which in that day, tallow was, which was animal fat or some sort of lard, was what was commonly used. Today, people make um, mullein candles with just the flower head or the seed stalk head um, coated in beeswax. I remember, you know, when I was first learning about this aspect of mullen, I was like, oh, sweet, I'm going to, I had all these mullen stalks, as I said, from my huge mullen patch. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have this like awesome mullen stalk fire, you know, like really go for it. I soon learned that the mullen stalk does not burn. It would not catch on fire. It would maybe smolder a little bit, but it just wouldn't burn. And I think that this is probably another reason why it made such a great torch, because the fat and the oil would burn around the seed head, but the seed head itself would just kind of smolder and the stock itself wasn't flammable. So you didn't have risk of the fat or the oil dripping onto the stock and then the whole torch itself, the handle of the torch that you're holding on to lighting up. In Italy, one of the common names for mullen was Candelaria because it had this pur purpose, but also because the 
mullein, it can itself kind of look like a candelabra, especially when it grows and has kind of branching flower stalks at the top. It just looks like it's already a lit candle, especially when it's in bloom. There was another common name for it, which was hag torch. And a lot of people think that, well, maybe that was because witches were known to use it in their ceremonies, but also hag could be um, a word that meant hedge. And so then it was hedge torch. And so maybe it was either torches that were harvested from hedges or that they looked like a torch lighting up a hedge. So again, not only were they um, used in more, um, maybe I would say patriarchal ceremonies and funerals in medieval times, but they were also known to be used by witches or earth-honoring spirituality folks during their own ceremonies, especially during harvest ceremonies, because that's when the mullen was ripe for burning. They were seen as uh, protection from evil, the torches themselves, but also the plant itself was often used as a talisman for protection from evil. And I think this is interesting. And actually, um, monasteries would plant mullen outside supposedly to protect from the devil and from evil and from witches themselves. I assume also they were planted as medicine because as we know, these monasteries often had beautiful herb gardens as well, medicinal plant gardens. But I always find it interesting because it seems like, you know, herbs that were really commonly used by um, quote unquote witches or pagans before the patriarchy takeover, that they were often then became plants that were used as protection against what was considered these evil, quote unquote, doers. It was in um, the Odyssey, Ulysses carried mullen leaves as protection from the witch Circe. So there are basically, it's a very safe herb that can be used as long as you don't mistake it for foxglove. And the hairs on it can cause contact dermatitis to your skin. So you just have to be careful um, if you're harvesting a lot of it or if you have very sensitive skin. The hairs can also cause irritations when you consume the plant which is why it's not used by grazing animals. But also when we're making teas or really strong brews, it's, it's suggested that mullen is strained through either a couple layers of muslin or some sort of fabric that has a relatively tight weave or coffee filters just to catch these really fine hairs so they don't actually irritate the throat. All right, so let's get into some of the medicinal properties of this plant. Now, again, the roots, the leaves, the young stalks, and the flowers are all useful medicinally. Uh, We want to avoid the seeds. Some people say that they do have essential fatty acids, like pretty much all seeds, but there are also carcinogens in the seeds, like most seeds because they are the babies, the embryos of the plants, and so the plants like to protect their babies with um, chemicals that animals are not going to want to consume. Although quite likely the seeds, because they're so small and hard, might go right through you anyhow. Mullen uh, is known uh, to be an anodyne or an analgesic, which basically both mean pain relieving. It's also antispasmodic, especially for the lungs and the intestines. And it has mild sedative properties to it. It's also um, demulcent and emollient, which basically means it soothes 
mucous membranes, demulcent means more on an internal part of our body, and emollient means more on the external, on our skin. It's a vulnerary, which means it's healing to skin and to wounds, and it's an astringent, which most astringents, because they tighten um, and constrict mucous membranes, they often have um, healing to wounds qualities as well. It's a mild diuretic and supports bladder health in general. It's a has a respiratory tonic properties, so it really helps to support the lungs and is an expectorant, which means it helps us cough up excess mucus. And it's also an antitussive, which means it can help to control excessive or spasmodic coughing, which is also part of its antispasmodic properties. It's a cooling herb and it helps to clear um, excess heat in the body. So whereas last week we talked about elecampane, which is another great herb for the lungs, and we might see some similarities in their actions, but the elecampane has very warming energetics to it, whereas the mullein is more cooling. So now I'd like to kind of go through the different body systems that mullein supports and how it could be useful to those body systems. And I'd like to start with the lungs and the respiratory system because I think that's what mullein is most commonly known to support. Usually people think mullein and they think lung support, which is great because it is an excellent support of the lungs, especially um, for people who have chronic lung conditions like asthma or bronchitis. It's also really helpful if people have really serious lung infections like tuberculosis, and con- which the disease is consumption, or whooping cough, which are less common these days for sure. And in general, the mullein can help clear excess congestion in the lungs, in the sinus, and even in the ears. So that demulcent property is really beneficial for relieving inflammation and irritation, both in the throat and the lungs. It can, and then the astringent property can help tighten the mucous membranes. So it both moistens and tightens mucous membranes, um, especially our lungs. It can help uh, ease coughs, hoarseness, bronchitis, bronchial Qatar or lung congestion, um, people that have hay fever and irritation from excess sneezing and runny noses, any sort of chronic bronchial problems. It's a tr- what's called a in herbalism a trophy restorative of the entire respiratory system. Another term for this could be a respiratory tonic, as I said earlier. I love how Susan Weed talks about it as restoring the original message to the lungs and she likens it to a game of telephone you know where each person you know you you're told one thing and then you're supposed to whisper it in the next person's ear and it goes around in the circle and by the time it goes around the whole circle the message is totally different from what it started out as and she likens this to genetic cellular replication and how in time, you know, it slightly gets skewed each time. And then maybe by down the road, the lung cells just aren't necessarily reproducing the best that they could be because they've kind of lost that original message. And she likens the mullein to helping to restore the original message, saying, no, like, this is how this game of telephone started. This was the message. Let's start working with that message again. So for people that, you know, have lung conditions that worsened, have worsened over time, it can help potentially reverse that. And then another interesting way that mullein is worked with is it's it can be smoked either in 
like with a pipe or in um, a rolled cigarette, although I think smoking paper is not necessarily the best thing, um, or even just burned in a fire-resistant bowl or shell, and then just inhale the smoke as it's being burned. And this can really help to open the airways and relax the lungs so you get some antispasmodic property this way and even heal tissue. And it's actually known to help stop asthma attacks. Although if you're going to try this, I would also make sure just in case that you have your asthma inhaler on hand as well. But if it's possible to start with the mullen and see if that works first, that might be a good option for you. And then also working with mullen on a regular basis, on a daily basis or a semi-regular basis. And we'll talk about different preparations other than smoking that could help. Um, and maybe in time you might even not need your inhaler, as many people have found. Mullen is also really oftenly common known as an herb that helps with ear issues. And it's mostly the flowers that are worked with in this way. The flowers are antibacterial and also pain relieving, um, especially with nerve pain. And so when we have an ear infection and there's a lot of inflammation, congestion, and bacteria, then um, the flowers can be really beneficial. And what people will often do is they'll make a mullen flower oil. And this can also be purchased in stores that sell herbal products. It's a very common herbal product on the market. It's often combined with garlic oil, which is also antibacterial, but the flowers themselves are also known to be antibacterial. And usually just a drop or two of the oil, it can be warmed, you know, the bottle itself can be warmed in the palm of your hand or under some warm running water. And then a, just a drop or two placed in the ear, you want to test it first to make sure it's not too hot and it won't burn the delicate tissue in your ear. And you don't want to put anything in your ear if you have a burst eardrum, but if you don't, then just a couple drops just allowed to kind of meld into the ear on a regular basis can help fight the ear infection. It's also known to be helpful for tinnitus or easing tinnitus, I should say, and to help break up wax accumulation. It can also, like say you do have a hole in your eardrum or if you feel don't really want to put anything in your ear you can also take the oil and rub it around the area that's surrounding the ear like behind your ear and just like the ear tissue itself another benefit that mullen has is on our lymph system so it can help move lymph when we have swollen lymph nodes um, both internally as a beverage as a tincture the leaves the flowers, the leaf and flower combined, and also as a leaf poultice it, uh, placed on the area with the swollen lymph nodes itself. Mullen is also very beneficial for our digestion. And if you can taste a really concentrated tea or actually a concentrated nourishing herbal infusion of the mullen leaf, then you'll notice that it has this very earthy and slightly bitter flavor to it. And so any herb that is bitter helps to get our digestion going. It helps to improve the whole digestive process all the way from the saliva in our mouth to the bile that's released to help us digest fats to our stomach acid. It just primes the pump, so to speak. The antispasmodic properties of mullen can help ease digestive cramps in the intestines if you have excess gas. And it's also a great remedy for either diarrhea or constipation. And usually that is in a mullen milk remedy, which we'll talk about when we get into the preparations. 
And it also helps in the same preparation to ease hemorrhoid pain because again, it's soothing, it's pain relieving, it's anti-inflammatory, and it's astringent. Mullen has an affinity for connective tissue as well. Because it's anti-inflammatory and relieves pain, it can really help if you have inflammation in your muscles or pain in your joints. It has a moistening, lubricating effect on the synovial membranes, which help to keep our joints able to move more easily because it has this you know, synovial fluid that kind of buffers the bones from rubbing on each other. And it has a hydrating effect on the spine as well and the joints through this enabling of the synovial fluid and the lubricating of the membranes. It enhances the pliability of our spine in so doing. And it has been talked about. There are some herbalists. I know Jim McDonald and maybe some others that um, have talked about using the roots of mullen specifically to treat back pain or even spinal misalignment, probably as an adjunct therapy um, to maybe other more physical therapies. It could be beneficial. Something to look into more, and I believe that would be more of a root tincture. And the root would be harvested did in the fall of the first year when the plant is still a basil rosette or in the early spring of the second year before a stalk starts to form. Usually with these biennials, once they start forming a stalk, the root, kind of like all of the roots, life force and nutrition and energy goes into forming that stalk and the flowers and seeds Mullen also has an affinity for the urinary system. Again, it relieves inflammation and irritations within that system, especially in the bladder. KP Kalsa, in, in his book, Herbal Defense, talks about how the lungs and the bladder are similar tissues. They're basically, he says, you know, they're basically like moist sacs, <laughs> member, you know, mucilaginous sacs. And so herbs that can affect one can often also benefit the other because they have similar tissues. It's a soothing diuretic, especially for burning urination. It can overall enhance bladder function. So it could be considered a tonic for the bladder as well as a tonic for the lungs and is used in the treatment of incontinence. Mullen root specifically for this. And mullen root helps um, by tightening and strengthening the lower sphincter of the bladder. Additional Kegels are also helpful, but it can help, you know, if maybe you've had been through childbirth or if you are aging and that sphincter can loosen and so maybe you feel little dribbles after jumping, sneezing, coughing, laughing. These are classic things that the mullen root could help with. Mullen also has an affinity for the nervous system. And this seems to be the flower where the flower tends to shine. So a flower tea, you can dry, gently dry the flowers they can bruise easily. So you just want to harvest them really lightly and then like spread them out on a screen or a basket so that they're not touching so that they can dry quickly because you want your flowers to still maintain some yellow color to them when they dry. You don't want them to be bruised and brown. And the flower tea is a gentle sedative. It can help induce sleep Although it's a gentle sedative, so you probably already want to be on your way to sleep. It's not going to be like, oh, I'm drinking a flower tea and I'm asleep at my desk, but it can be relaxing and ease restlessness and can also help relieve pain in the nerves. It's useful in cases of headaches and even neuralgia.
it can help to ease the nerves in a way that can help to relieve heart palpitations, especially if those palpitations are from nervousness, tension, and anxiety. And that would also more likely be a tea, although yeah, I never really see people tincturing the flowers, although I would be intrigued to see what kind of effect that would have. But generally, the flowers are considered to be a stronger nervine and even analgesic, so pain reliever and tonic to the nervous system, than the leaves. A lot of times, you know, that flower oil that we were talking about for the ears and relieving pain in the ears is also a powerful anti-inflammatory and pain reliever for other parts of the body. So it could be a massage oil to relieve inflammation of nerves or to relieve general irritation and can be massaged into other sore areas of the body. Mullen can also be helpful for skin issues. Generally, um, it's applied topically, either the infusion applied topically or the leaf itself could be applied topically um, for external inflammations or painful skin conditions. And this is generally, like I said, the leaf tea or a leaf-infused vinegar combined with water and applied topically. Again, the leaf itself, um, just plain and dried or even plain and fresh, could potentially cause contact dermatitis and could be irritating to the skin. But I have heard of people poulticing the leaf or like kind of mashing it up and soaking it in vinegar but still maintaining the whole leaf and then applying that whole leaf onto a sore area of the body. And this is, you know, it's a nice big leaf if you harvest the big leaves, so it could cover a large area. We're going to get into uh, different preparations that you can make with mullen and how to grow it and harvest it. So stick with me and I'll be right back. It's interesting, I've noticed as I do these podcasts on these specific herbs, I don't know what it is, but I I need the herb. Um, and this is no exception to the, the pattern here. So I was re- recording the podcast last night, and throughout the day, I developed this kind of like hot feeling in my lungs and a little bit of like a dry, irritating cough and um, a hoarseness in my throat. And if you were paying attention earlier, those are all things that mullen can help ease. And I got halfway through the recording the podcast. I record the podcast on Wednesday nights, usually between 10 p.m. and midnight so that it will drop on Thursday morning. You know, I have to edit it and then I usually get it done by Thursday morning at one. Um and just because that's, you know, my spare time that I have to do this. And last night I was pushing through. I don't know if you noticed, but my voice is a little hoarse. And it just, it totally cut out on me halfway through the podcast. So I just had to call it quits. So this podcast is dropping a little later than normal today. Um, and that is because I just couldn't talk anymore. So I made myself last night a mullen nourishing herbal infusion where I took um, one ounce by weight of the dried mullen leaf. And this is mullen leaf that I have bought um, by the pound from Frontier Co-op. I just always have a, a, a bunch of mullen on hand and then I'll also harvest some of my own and I put that 
one ounce by weight of mullein in a one quart jar and filled it to the top with boiling water and put a lid, tight lid on it. So you wanna fill it all the way to the top and then a nice tight secure lid and just let it sit overnight on the counter. I also made a linden infusion, a linden flower infusion in the same way with the dry whole linden that I also get from Frontier Co-op um, because that's also very soothing and cooling to the throat and mucous membranes. But the mullein is really beneficial for that. And the one of the most common ways historically that mullein was prepared was in what's called a mullein milk. And the leaves were simmered in the milk and then honey was added usually, or not necessarily, but, and it could be the fresh leaves or the dried leaves and then strained through, um, you know, a muslin or a, well, now people will use coffee filters or something that will catch the hairs because you're generally using a lot of mullein and simmering it in the milk. And this is considered very nutritive. It was used a lot um, in cases of consumption and tuberculosis. Um, it was used a lot for just all kinds of coughs, whooping cough, diarrhea, constipation, to relieve hemorrhoid pain and irritation, and also to promote sleep, especially when it was interrupted by coughing. And you'll see in a lot of the older herbal texts that that was how mullen was really usually used. You don't really see mullen tea so much. You see mullen milk. And then I learned from Susan Weed um, an kind of easier way. I mean, that's a way that you can make mullen milk in the moment, but a way that you can kind of have mullen milk for an extended period of time is to make this nourishing herbal infusion of the mullen. And because it's not super rich in protein, like the other nourishing infusions that we rotate through, it can stay in the fridge um, once it's strained for up to five days or maybe a couple days more. So you take your mullen infusion and you warm it up. I like to warm it up with some cinnamon chips and honey, a couple tablespoons of honey per, you know, big mug. And then you fill your mug half or three quarters full of the mullen, the warm mullen infusion with the cinnamon that's infused into it. And then you fill the rest of the mug up with milk. The way I, we don't really often have milk in the house, but we always have half and half. So I just made, um, you know, I, I put more mullen infusion in my mug and then I put a bunch of half and half in it with the honey and cinnamon and it is so good and it feels so nutritive and so soothing and it's, it has a slightly earthy, bitter undertone but it's also very creamy and sweet and delicious. So I have been drinking that this morning and it just feels so right. So that's the nourishing infusion mullen milk. So good. And then you could also add other kind of chai spices to make a mullen chai. So you could do cinnamon, clove, nutmeg, what have you. But again, if you're, if you're, condition is more like hot and irritating, then you don't want to necessarily add a lot of hot spices to it. Like I wouldn't necessarily add ginger, but cinnamon, even though it's warming, it also has some nice mucilaginous constituents to it, um, especially if you infuse it cold. So you could even take your mullein infusion after you strain it and before you put it in the fridge, put some cinnamon chips in it and just kind of let it be like that in the fridge and then when you go to warm it up with your honey and then you add your milk to it you'll get some more of that cinnamon flavor and the mucilaginous soothing aspects of the cinnamon it would be good to also put some of some cinnamon in while you warm it so you get a lot more of that cinnamon flavor which is just delicious with the mullen but you could also and people do just make a tea with uh, the mullen leaves or the mullen leaves and flowers. People, as we talked about, smoke the dried leaves. So you can do that. I talked about it earlier, but 
either in a pipe or with other herbs. Um, you could just burn it in a ashtray of some sort or a non-burnable container or a shell and then breathe in the smoke. If you are wanting to quit smoking tobacco, some people will you know, buy just pouches of tobacco. You can get organic uh, tobacco in a pouch and then you can cut it with some mullein leaf. And a friend of mine actually said that one of her friends also put rose petals in there. So imagine like tobacco and mullein leaves and rose petals. That just sounded really good. And then slowly over time, you would put less tobacco and more mullein or whatever herbs you're adding. And the mullein actually has, the mullein smoke has some healing properties to the lungs, helps to relax the lungs, and is used especially in cases of asthma. Then there is some people talk about steaming the leaves. So you'd put the mullein leaves in a steam and inhale the steam. Uh, so you put the leaves in a pot of hot water and then let and then inhale the steam that comes off of that. I usually think of that for herbs that have these volatile oils to them, which help to open and break up mucus and um, fight infections. And I don't really get that so much with the mullein leaf. So... I mean, maybe if you want to have, it's a way of having the mullein tea have direct contact with the lung tissue, but I don't know. I, I kind of, intu intuition tells me that maybe there are better herbs, like the more minty kind of herbs for the steams. But maybe if you had like really damaged lung tissue and the mints were maybe too intense, but you still wanted to do a steam, steaming some mullein tea, could be nice. The mullein leaves can also be tinctured and then used that way to help um, remedy coughs and congestion in the lungs. The way that I like to do that is with the fresh mullein leaf and harvest enough where chopped up it can lightly pack into a jar and then I take 100 proof vodka which is 50% alcohol and 50% water, and use just the 100 proof alcohol, pour it over the mullein leaves so that the jar is totally full of the vodka, and then I cover with a tight lid and let it steep for at least six weeks, and then strain it out through a cloth or a coffee filter. And that's really helpful if you have a cough and you need something really quickly just to have on hand to help ease the lungs. The root can also be tinctured in the same way. So you'd harvest the root, um, as I said, the beginning of either the second year or the end of the first year. And then chop it up. Well, maybe wash it and then chop it up and fill the jar with the root and then cover it with 100 proof vodka and let that sit. And that can be used, as we talked about, either for the to tighten the bladder sphincter or maybe even as a digestive bitter to help with pain and inflammation in the joints and in the back as well. And then there's the flowers. So you could do the flowers in oil. A lot of times pickle, people will just pick the flowers. You don't want the green part that the flower attaches to the flower head with. You just want the yellow flower. And you place that in a jar. You fill the jar with the mullein flowers. And then you cover them with like a mild olive oil, not extra virgin um, or whatever. You know, you could do almond oil or sesame oil if you wanted. And then you let it steep, and traditionally it's um, steeped in a sunny window. Generally, with oils, I like if they call to be steeped in a sunny oil in a sunny window. I like to put them in a brown paper bag because I really do feel like the sun light can degrade plant material, and it I wouldn't really want to put my oil in the sunlight either because I think it can degrade the oil too. But if but I think it's more for the warmth is the is the concept there. So if you 
wrap it in a brown paper bag, then you get the warmth and the energy of the sunlight, but you're not getting the degradation from the UV rays. And you also always want to put your jars of herbal oils in a small like bowl or a plate that has lips that come up around it. Because oftentimes there will be a little bit of fermentation that happens and the oil can bubble, especially when using fresh plant material, and the oil can kind of bubble out and seep out of the jar and it, and it can become quite messy. So you want to catch any of that oil in a small bowl that you're jar is in. And you can steep it for two to three weeks. You'll notice once you strain it out that there will be a layer of water underneath. And you can maybe mitigate that water to some degree by putting a a cheesecloth as a lid instead of a tight metal lid on your jar to help let some moisture escape. But inevitably, you will probably have some water at the like a water bubble it will almost look like at the bottom of your jar. And you'll probably have to pour off that oil two or three times um, from that water because you don't want any water in your oil. And you will lose some oil because it will be attached to that water. But you just want to kind of let your jar settle, make sure that at the end there's no water at the bottom. And I've also, I've seen um, people make like a mullein flower syrup on YouTube once a, a long time ago where a woman basically like took the mullein flowers and put sugar in with the mullein flowers, kind of layering in the jar and put it in a sunny window. And then in time, it just like the flowers just melted in with the sugar and it turned into a syrup. Which makes me think, oh, I wonder what a mullein flower honey would be like. I also read in Henriette Kress's book, Practical Herbs, that mullein flowers can just kind of be put in a jar all together and then in a sunny window and then they just kind of melt together all on their own to turn into a liquid. I've never done that, but that intrigues me to some degree. So you can check out her book if you're interested in more about that. And then for uh, warm poultices, so you would take the um, leaf and probably like cook it in some water and kind of mash it up. And then you can apply that topically to any sort of sprain or strain painful joints, inflammations, swollen glands, even um, it said that people could put it on cancers or tumors or uh, warts, although those kind of come from really old texts. And Yule Gibbons talks about in Stocking the Healthful Herbs is his book. He's like, oh, you know, there was a time back in the medieval days when they were really writing all about herbs that that they got more and more grandiose with the claims claims that they were making about herbs. So he said, you know, some of them you can't really believe. And so that's interesting. But then it just kind of gets repeated and repeated as folklore down the line. It's not going to hurt to try these things, but it might not be like super effective. I always think about... um, during the witch trials and these poor women were being tortured but while they were being tortured they were also asked to divulge their their knowledge that they had about herbs and you have to think like if you're being tortured and eventually going to be burned at the stake and the people who are torturing you want information from you um, are you really going to give them like the right information or the truthful information i don't know These are things I think about. But again, mullein is a very safe herb. Even though it does have these hairs that can be irritating, that's about the extent of it. So you could try it for all these things and you're not going to do any damage. People also um, have been known to soak their feet in an infusion of the mullein to relieve gout pain. And then traditionally... The thick woolly leaves were put in socks to keep feet warm. And it was like one of its name was like felt plant or something. And it would help to 
improve insulation in the feet. And then you get that, it's almost like the irritating hairs have a rubefacient property to it. So it kind of brings the blood flow to the surface of the skin and warms it. Also, this um, is, it was called Quaker Rouge, where young women would apply, would take the leaves and rub their cheeks with it to, again, for this rubefacient property to bring blood to the cheeks to make it look red and rosy. There's also, uh, people call it cowboy toilet paper. And so if you're out in the wild, there are some people that say, you know, you could use the fresh mullein leaves as toilet paper. And, but then some people are like, oh, I don't know, those, those hairs could be irritating, which is always what has turned me off from that idea. But I think that the hairs might be more irritating on dry leaves than fresh leaves. But I still have yet to try it out myself. So how, how to harvest and dry the mullen? I like, you know, if I see mullen growing in a garden, I will usually leave it or you can transplant it so that it can be on the back of a garden because it's really beautiful or in um, on the ends of the garden. And generally, I like to wait for the second year to harvest the mullen. And the first year, I just let it grow and have its nice basil rosette. And then, I mean, it will stay evergreen even under the snow throughout the winter. So if you're ever in desperate need of mullen, you can usually find it to work with it. And you can definitely harvest the leaves from the first year plant as the basil rosette, but I would only harvest a couple from each plant because you don't want to harvest, you know, you don't want to injure the plant because you want it to go into its second year. Unless it's in your garden and you are quote unquote, weeding it out of your garden, which I did one year, I had a whole row of mullen that I didn't want there. And so I, in the fall, I harvested the whole plant, the leaves and the roots, and then I made remedies with those, mostly tinctures with both the leaves and the roots. But then you can harvest the whole plant in the second year, as it has formed its stalk and it's beginning to flower. Again, you don't really want the seeds, but you can kind of get the flower buds and the stalk and all of the leaves. Or you, but if you want to make sure that you leave some seeds, you know, you want to at least make sure you leave some plants to go to seed. But if you have a a bunch of plants around, then it's really easy to harvest the whole plant and then just hang it, the whole plant, upside down to dry. And then you can cut the leaves up once they're dried. And you can even cut the stem, because the stem also is known to have more of these like sedative pain-relieving properties, the tougher part of the plant than the leaves do. You could also, if you just you know had one or two plants and you want them to go to seed, you can harvest just the leaves off of the second year plants and dry them. You can hang them to dry. Some people might use clothes clips. You would hang your clothes to dry with on a clothesline. You can spread them out in baskets or on screens, or you can even thread them with a needle and string and hang that. It makes a really pretty garland as well. And then definitely if you have mullen around you, and you let it go to seed, you can take those seed heads and just sprinkle them around. Definitely places where there's maybe bare ground or rocky soil or where an excavator might have just come through. It's It will be really happy to grow there in the spring. I hope that this podcast has inspired you to connect with Mullen and to try out some mullen milk and mullen infusion, especially if you have any chronic lung health conditions, Um, or if, like me, you just find yourself hoarse and feel like you have some inflammation in your chest and throat. I appreciate you. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to subscribe to the podcast, that would be great because then the podcast will episodes will automatically download for you and just show up in your um, reel of podcasts that you listen to every week. If you would like to leave me a five-star rating, I would be so grateful for that or a review. I love hearing your feedback, and I want to thank those who have taken the time to do so already. I really appreciate you and your input. Thank you so much. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, my website, where you can sign up for an informational and inspirational newsletter. Uh, SolidagoHerbSchool.com, Instagram, Facebook, Solidago Herb School, and I also have an Instagram Healthy Herb Podcast page. Come check me out there. Say hi. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.